Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman, joined by Jeff Olson, as always, and we are broadcasting as typical from beautiful Lago Vista, Texas, where the rain is filling up the lake. There may yet be recreational abundance on the lake before the summer's end. But of course, we're here in central Texas, so if there's water, there's usually an opportunity no matter what month there is. So we're grateful for the, for the rain and the filling of the lake. Uh, so today on the Pinocchio Project, I want to discuss an idea that many Christians have in the United States and maybe in the West where there's uh, political freedoms, like there's a voice, there's a vote. Uh, but I've called this uh, podcast, this episode, Theology, Politics, and uh, the Mushy Middle. And I don't know if you've heard the term mushy middle before. Uh, it's a term that can be applied to an individual or a person who uh, really is not willing, that doesn't have the spine to take a stand on a particular set of issues or individual issue. Uh, it can be used uh, to describe a person or a group who doesn't have enough information to make a stand and is not really willing to pursue acquiring and deciding on information in order to uh, uh, formulate a position on a set of issues or a particular issue. Uh, the mushy middle is just someone who basically is what I would call uh, a squishy type of citizen, uh, sort of not really firm, uh, not really steadfast, and maybe more of a, uh, a passive participant in the benefits of the society or culture and really doesn't want to make waves too much. And sometimes that's just cowardice. Sometimes it's just apathy or laziness. And sometimes it's just a focus on uh, the wrong kinds of uh, issues. Uh, for example, as long as there's two chickens in my pot and two cars in my garage and gas is under $4 a gallon, then, you know, everything's fine with me. I kind of hear things that are going on. Uh, there's some moral conversations that I really don't feel comfortable getting involved in because, you know, sort of mm, live and let live, you know, know what I'm saying? Uh, so the mushy middle is someone or ones uh, who don't have, again, the spine to stand up for uh, what they know to be right. And uh, I hate to say it, but uh, uh, for far too long, uh, the majority of, of Western Christians and American Christians have uh, properly been defined as being in that mushy middle when it comes to uh, theology and politics. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin the conversation by reminding us that ideas have consequences. Uh, good ideas uh, on human flourishing actually result in human flourishing when lived out. Bad ideas on human flourishing uh, when lived out uh, result in human suffering. And so I'm going to talk about a really bad idea and widely accepted idea a really bad and broadly accepted idea by American Christians. Quote, Christians should not concern themselves with politics, unquote. Uh, now, you hear this a lot in all kinds of churches. Uh, a particular strain or brand or uh, uh, a theological model 
uh, church that that tends to promote this idea that children uh, children well it could be children from a spiritual perspective maybe that was a Freudian slip in the right direction uh, that have accepted this idea Christians should not concern themselves with politics we would call them separatists uh, that a Christian's job is just sort of to kind of hunker down and and live out their own Christian lives in the in the context of their own home or their own church context and uh, wait for the rapture bus to come and pick them up. So they're kind of sitting at the stop, the bus stop with their thumb out, um, waiting to be rescued from this dire, drastic place. And it is a dire and drastic place, uh, but that means uh, not that we should hunker down and isolate, but we should actually engage. That's quite biblical, by the way. But before we get to the biblical justifications of being involved in politics, let me just talk about the the normative understanding of every citizen being involved in politics. So the word politics is a derivative from a Greek word, uh, also uh, derived from that word is the word polis, P-O-L-I-S, uh, which is, is sort of the whole collective involved in, in the life of a nation or a city. Uh, so polis uh, from the Greek uh, is, is a corporation or a collective of citizens who all participate in its government in its religious cults and and beliefs, uh, its defense, its economic welfare, and who also obey its sacred and customary laws. So from a normative perspective, the, the typical understanding of a citizen in a city or a nation is that someone who participates in government in the religious life and the defense of and the economic welfare of that particular city and nation. So just from the general perspective, we understand that a Christian has a dual citizenship. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, you actually have uh, right now, in the here and now, uh, in the already, in this moment, you have a citizenship in a nation and you're a resident and a citizen of a city. And I'm a U.S. citizen, and I'm a resident of a city in the U.S., so I have a rightful place in the nation and the city within that nation, and I have responsibilities as a member of the polis, the collective uh, that participates. But a really uh, bad idea, again, is that I just want to see my, my singular citizenship and not my dual citizenship, and my singular citizenship is I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm a stranger and an alien, and a stranger and an alien has no place in participating in the polis. Well, I want to pull out a, uh, a, a concept from, from the Hebrew text, or what, what you call the Old Testament, uh, from Jeremiah 29. And, and Jeremiah's uh, letter, uh, poor Jeremiah, he was like sad a lot of the time, and then he comes to himself uh, and remembers who God is. But he has plenty to be sad, at, sad about because uh, his beloved from Jerusalem have been carried into exile, conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and been carried into exile. And the, the motherland, Judah, has been decimated, and all of their best and brightest have been brought into Babylon. That's if you read the book of Daniel, uh, you'll see the, the four really uh, uh, smart and uh, and cultured guys uh, that, including Daniel, that come into Nebuchadnezzar's court, but but there is a there is an exile. There there is a carrying away of the entire uh, nation of Judah for seventy years, 
And so Jeremiah, uh, speaking for God in verse 20, I mean, in chapter 29, uh, talking about now these exiles' responsibility uh, in this new polis, if you will, this new nation and this new city, uh, in, in Jeremiah 29, 4, uh, Jeremiah speaking uh, for the Lord says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Now that's so interesting because the Lord himself takes responsibility. Now this is a sidebar. You don't mind a quick sidebar, do you? Uh, the, the, the Lord says, I carried them into exile. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar was not exactly the primary agent of this exile. God was using Babylon to punish Israel, or Judah for her years of disobedience. And, and he takes responsibility. I love that statement of sovereignty, as severe as it may seem. Uh, anyway, this is what the Lord Almighty, back to, I'm just going to start over. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So an exchange of polis, an exchange of culture, a brand new and foreign way of understanding life, a brand new worldview in Babylon compared to the monotheistic understanding of the polis of Judah. Uh, this is what the Lord says, starting with in a quote in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. So we see that we actually the, we have the creation mandate uh, being enforced in this foreign land. Be fruitful and fill the earth so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, this is verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So this is a command to participate in all aspects of the life of this foreign land. This is the, the polis command to participate in the governance, uh, in the religious cult, uh, and keeping themselves pure, and that's if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see it's so amazing how these uh, these four young men kept their their faith pure in the midst of this uh, this foreign land, and also for the economic welfare of the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so this is. Uh, by extension, an understanding of our responsibility as strangers and exiles in the world, but also citizens of a nation and residents of a city to participate in its governance, in its religious uh, welfare, in its economic welfare, and in its defense. And so we do that primarily through the governance. The polis also is the derivative for the word policy. And a, and a government is responsible for creating policy that carries out the understanding of human flourishing for its citizens. And this is where theology comes into play. But before I, I really go there, uh, let me give you an example from history about uh, a Christian in the mushy middle of the bad idea that Christians should not be involved in the polis. And it's an example from Nazi Germany. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but there is a pastor named Martin Niemöller uh, who uh, was a contemporary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know Bonhoeffer's story, but if you don't, you should. But uh, Bonhoeffer and Niemöller were contemporaries uh, as pastors in Germany as uh, Hitler was coming to power. 
and all these strange worldview ideas that were first couched in, in under a Christian banner. Uh, and then it became clear and evident uh, over time that there was really nothing uh, Christian about it other than it's uh, hiding under the Christian banner uh, as the uh, Aryan supremacy uh, doctrine was being developed. So as Hitler tightened the noose on everyone who was not Aryan and who ev- everyone who did not submit to his Nazi or fascist policy, and he began to round up and then to isolate and then to eliminate these threats, uh, Martin Niemöller uh, came to this conclusion about his own life in the mushy middle and as a pastor and as a spokesman with influence in the country. And he refused the spine. He refused to risk. And this is the outcome that he describes. First, they came for the communists, Martin says. And I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Finally, they came for me. And there was no one left to speak. So this is a sobering and really potent reminder that the mushy middle is no place for a believer in the polis, especially in the face of immoral policymaking, of tragic policymaking, where what it means to be human is being degraded and redefined, and the outcomes are horrific and continue to influence generation after generation. So let me move from Nazi Germany to the street where you live and the schools for your kids and the gas station on the corner and the place where you work. And I I call this more Christians in the mushy, mushy middle of this bad idea to not be involved in the polis. Uh, This is again, the example. And then maybe it's reflective of your own behaviors and your own life in the mushy middle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recast uh, Martin's uh, cadence and style of writing. The first they and then the reality that he did not speak out. I'm going to put it in context of our own life in the polis of American life uh, over the last several decades. First, they legislated God out of the public square And we did not speak out because we could still go to church. Then they insisted on freedom from sexual repression. And we did not speak out because we believe in live and let live. Then they separated sex from childbearing. And we did not speak out because they said the pill was the answer to the problem of overpopulation. Then... They legalized destruction of children in the womb. And we did not speak out because Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. Then they redefined marriage. And we didn't speak out because SCOTUS had spoken. That's SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. And we didn't speak out because SCOTUS had spoken. And hey, love is love, isn't it? 
Then they came for me and my children, and there was no one left to speak out for us. Uh, those in the mushy middle, this last statement is here. They have come for you and your children, and they are separating you and your, from your children. And in my next episode, I am going to give clear example of how the polis is creating policy, and much of it has been enacted in our land, and the tragic stories are beginning to multiply. Let me put some biblical context to this. I know it feels a bit heavy, but uh, I think that's probably okay. Uh, when it comes to being in the mushy middle, uh, we see a rebuke from Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 57. And uh, when I say mushy middle here, I'm talking about uh, uh, believers who uh, are enjoying all the benefits of culture but aren't willing to get involved uh, what it means to keep the polis healthy and speak up against immorality when uh, governmental forces are at work in, in deconstructing what it means to be human and proposing ideas that don't bring flourishing but bring suffering. Jesus says this, he said to the crowd, this is Luke 12, verse 54 and following through 57. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the South wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? And here's the question that he's asking. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Well, the implication is, once you know what's right, it's time to act on it. That's his whole conversation here. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? Judge for yourselves what is right. This is a strong statement with strong medicine from Jesus. Those of us in the mushy middle, we just stay at kind of at the, hey, how's the weather level? As long as everything else is going okay and either refuse to engage and understand what's going on in the polis or not willing to, to stand up against it and, and rock the boat. One more here I want to uh, illustrate from Revelation chapter 3. This is rebuke number 2 of the mushy middle. Uh, starting in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. Uh, if you know chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, as the book opens, this is Jesus' letters to the seven churches on this whole circular uh, route of, of Asia. This is the last church that the Lord addresses, the church in Laodicea. Verse 14, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And this is so descriptive. Uh, I don't want to say that this is that, but this is so descriptive of the attitude in the mushy middle that as long as things are going well for me, I'm not concerning myself with, with the needs of the polis or my own needs to grow and to be spiritually connected and enriched and maturing. It's just so indicative of the psyche that says, as long as I have everything I need and I can show it off, I'm good. 
So because you are lukewarm, verse 16, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, this is a severe description of the mushy middle. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And so you see in verse 18, Jesus is saying, hey, come to me so that you can acquire from me all these things that are necessary for you to now live the life uh, as a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the polis at, that, that are solid and can't be taken from you. The things that are substantive and heavy, a kavod, as we say in Hebrew. And in verse 19, and this is, this is, a, this is an opportunity for us in the mushy middle. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, I, I think it's okay to use verse 20 as, a, as an evangelism verse. You know, God's knocking at the door of your heart. You know, come to faith and be a new creation. But the context, the context mitigates against that understanding. This is written to a church, supposedly with believers who are now in the mushy middle and lukewarm. Jesus is saying, repent and come back into fellowship with me, and I will give you what you need to be a confident citizen of heaven and an effective citizen in the polis, the nation, the city in which you are called to influence for the good. And that includes the political process of governance. And I could speak for another 20 minutes on the fact that we in America have been given an opportunity never before realized in the history of civilization. That's a big statement, but it's true. We have the opportunity to be a people of virtue, and we've given a voice. We have, we have a responsibility now in that, that stewardship to form a government that has flourishing values, to jump out of the mushy middle. And many of us have to repent. And there, there's, I mean, again, this is a huge statement, and there's all kinds of application here. What I want to do is I want to remind uh, everybody that's uh, historically aware of Martin Neumuller's statements and his speech, the first they came and no one spoke, including me. Uh, Neumuller, uh, in the vein of, of Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 3, in verse 19, he actually did repent. And he, st he started to stand up and speak against what was happening in, in Hitler's polis. And he, and he spent the last seven years of the war in a concentration camp. Uh, he, he lived, uh, but his health was not good after his experience. But he did the right thing. He was a hero. He, he came out of the mushy middle, grew a spine, and did what was required of him. So this is church in the West this is our opportunity to repent of owning this bad idea that Christians don't get involved in politics and not interested or concerned with politics and to begin to act for the good of the polis. And that begins with just voting the right way for candidates who uphold or express and have proven to live in biblical values. That's the beginning point. Some of us need to run for office. Some of us need to support candidates who uphold biblical values and have proven to do so. I'll close with a statement from one of my favorite uh, pastors and speakers, Erwin Lutzer. You know Erwin Lutzer? You should. He's, he's so eloquent. He's so rich. And his voice, he has the voice. 
Erwin Lutzer says this in regards to our influence on the polis or not. I make the point, Erwin says, that evil never retreats on its own. It only retreats when it is confronted with a greater power, and that greater power is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you and I must stand together with courage, with faith, and even if we are reluctant heroes, to be heroes nonetheless. This is Mitch Friedman for the Pinocchio Project, calling the church out of the mushy middle, even to be reluctant heroes, but heroes nonetheless. Signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences. <laughs>